You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Brothers and sisters, Christianity has always been a religion built around a book. I dare say many of you have one in your lap. If you don't, you have an electronic copy. If you don't have either of those, go get one. It really is a library of books in that that book is the compiling of 66 documents from the Hebrew language originally, a little bit in Aramaic, and in the Koine Greek of the first century. It's rather unfortunate how so many people, both believers and non-believers, think of the Bible as nothing more than a book. While believers will revere Scripture as more important than non-believers, some lack the necessary drive or passion to read it. In today's message, Pastor Tom reflects on the importance of reading God's Word so as to develop sound doctrine. In his study, you'll learn that not only is reading the Bible regularly good for you, but it'll also help you recognize false teachers. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 3 as he begins his message, The Peril of Untested Bible Teachers. When I was about, I think, 12 or 13 years old, I went through what they called in the United Methodist Church, the church I grew up in, uh, confirmation. It was to confirm the young people who grew up in the church into church membership. On that day, they placed in our hands a new RSV Bible with a little gold ink to inscribe our name on the front. It was meant to be a very special day and a, a, special, a special moment in the life of the church. As I held that copy of the scriptures in my hands, I and the other young people who were going through that were being told that our religion, the religion of our parents, religion of our church, Christianity, had a lot to do with a book. You know, it wasn't a palm leaf that was placed in our hand. You know, it wasn't something else. It was a book that they put in our, into our hands saying, here's the book. Now you're going to be a member of the church. This particular book, the Bible, was important. Ironically, in the ensuing years, that same church spent a fair amount of time from the pulpit, I dare say, also in Sunday school during our youth talks and retreats, teaching us that the things that we read in that book weren't entirely true, at least in any historical or factual sense. We were taught to hold the Bible, but hold it a little bit loosely. Fast forward now to my freshman year of college, away from home, where a fellow student took the words of Scripture, the words of that same book, and spoke straight to my heart about its basic message of salvation, about the peril of my own soul and sin, about the way that anyone could escape God's judgment, the wrath that was to come, by simply placing faith in the one who went to that cross to pay for our sins, and in Jesus' factual and historical resurrection from the dead. This young man's words took God's words more seriously than my, in church, my entire church had done. And the Holy Spirit used those very words to cause my new birth as my mother was at home interceding on my behalf. 
So in one religious setting, the power of God's words were nullified by the very ones supposed to be advancing the words of God into the hearts of the congregation. In the other setting, the inspired writings were lifted up, brought right to the front and center, and declared unashamedly to be true. Obviously, when you think about that contrast, the words of religious teachers matter. In fact, they matter very much. Sometimes they make the difference between heaven and hell, and who goes there, as the proverb wisely cautions all of us concerning the tongue, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Brothers and sisters, Christianity has always been a religion built around a book. I dare say many of you have one in your lap. If you don't, you have an electronic copy. If you don't have either of those, go get one. It really is a library of books in that that book is the compiling of 66 documents from the Hebrew language originally, a little bit in Aramaic, and in the Koine Greek of the first century. But it's all, though compiled by men, it is verbally inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Therefore, Christianity from the beginning through its 20 centuries has always been a teaching-centered faith, not a religion of mystical experiences or monkish meditations operating devoid of doctrine, nor was Christianity a mere ethical guide vacuous of propositional truth declarations. No, it was a religion of the book, of God's book, God's truth. That meant the book that was placed in our hands and read in Scripture was to be analyzed. It was to be read. It was to be studied. It was to be systematized. It was to be memorized and meditated upon. It was to be commented on. It was to be shared. It was to be proclaimed. It was to be preached. That was God's intent. That was the design of the Spirit of God. Christianity is a religion of doctrine. It's a religion of doctrine and proper life application from that doctrine. Teaching is so important that when God decided to come into this world himself personally and how he would arrive and what occupation he would have when he came down on this planet and took on the form of a man and became a human being, that he came down not as a mystical teacher from the East, not as a speculative philosopher from the West, but he came as a teacher of divine doctrine, a teacher of revealing doctrine to men through the medium of very carefully chosen words that were driven along by the Holy Spirit as they came out of the mouths of men. Jesus was a teacher. Concerning his teaching, in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 14 and following, it explains it this way. When it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. 
The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Jesus was a masterful teacher. Jesus employed all kinds of methods to teach that book that still had part of it to be written when he was alive. He was a great storyteller. He was a wonderful lecturer. He taught Proverbs. He made prophecy. He taught through small group discussion. He held up objects and taught from object lessons. He engaged his disciples in question and answer. He involved himself in grammatical analysis and correction of how people looked at Old Testament passages. He gave long and authoritative sermons. His disciples were traveling students, mathetes, we called them, pupils, learners, disciples. When Jesus ascended back into heaven and the church was commenced on the day of Pentecost, he had charged the leaders of his church, keep proclaiming and keep teaching. The very first thing the Spirit of God compelled the leaders to do was to preach words in foreign language as a miracle. Many of them spoke, and then Peter stood up and he preached the first Christian sermon in Acts 2. And then it says of the first church, the mother church in Jerusalem, the first activity they devoted themselves to was to listening to apostolic didache, that is doctrine, teaching. And so the official teaching ministry of the church became very important, and it became where the Spirit of God would steer and guide and mature the entire church, or where Satan would get a foothold into the church and begin to steer and guide the church wrongly. That made teaching supremely important to the mission and to the maturity and to the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ. Due to its lofty importance, the church's teaching ministry had to be guarded very carefully and it had to be entered into not lightly but soberly. Unfortunately, you know a little bit of the story of church history. I'm sure all of you know some. If you don't know what happened in the past, you can certainly look around and see what is happening today, that there are many unqualified men, and nowadays women, who are teaching. They're ill-motivated in many cases. They've rushed into teaching because someone told them that they should, And they have debilitated and decimated the church of Jesus Christ. James, who loved the word of God, has a warning for all of us in that regard. It's in James chapter 3. Please open there and let's read it. Actually, I'll read through verse 12. We'll just cover verse 1 today. James writes, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put 
the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by Gehenna, hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. A lot there that's going to challenge our hearts as we get into that. As we turn the page into this chapter 3, the question might be asked and should be asked, why address the tongue here in the letter and why specifically the teachers first? Well, this is a new chapter and it relates backward to chapter 2 a little bit by bringing to the fore our words as an example of something that we do, our works Words are like the deeds that we read about in chapter 2, the deeds that reveal who we are inwardly, the truth about ourselves, whether our faith indeed is a, a dead faith, a, a dead, orthodox, unpracticing, useless faith that does not save, or whether it is a living faith that follows in the pattern of Abraham and Rahab who were active by demonstrating their faith. Words are part of that. Furthermore, our words will be one key way that God evaluates what was true of us in our own lives in that last time, end of the day judgment. In fact, James's words here accord with Jesus' teaching who taught in Matthew 12 in verse 36, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you'll be what? Condemned. God will actually bring out the words, replay them somehow there, and that will determine what a person's life was really all about. Furthermore, if you remember earlier in the letter of James, he taught that controlling the tongue is a necessary expression of what true religion is all about. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 26, he says, if anyone thinks to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Tongue is very important to true religion. And now we come in chapter 3 to this paragraph, this section, and it's on the tongue, and it's all about the influence of the tongue. Look how small the tongue is, but look at what great power and influence it has. And so he likens all of that to different uh, illustrations. He talks about a bit in a horse's mouth, the big horse, the small bit, a small rudder with a giant ship turning and, and moving a, a sea-going vessel in the direction that the pilot wants, a little flame that can ignite and burn an entire forest untamable animal. This is a very practical portion of God's Word. I think we would all agree. I think there'll be a lot we have to learn from it, a lot that we'll relearn and feel bad that we didn't learn it before better. 
But all of this learning about the tongue starts with the teachers. It lets anyone who aspires to teach know that the place of teaching, and he says it quite clearly, is not for everyone. In fact, it's for few. The rush to teach in church, therefore, is unwise. And any who desire to teach, they must weigh their motives and their abilities and their life carefully before doing so. Why? Well, we can read a little bit between the lines as we did already and bring in the rest of Scripture and say, God loves the church. Christ bled and died for the church. He wants its purity. He doesn't want it steered wrongly. So to get this crucial lesson across, really just one power-packed sentence, James provides a very needed prohibition, and it's followed by an ominous uh, explanation or warning. First, we're going to look at the prohibition, and it's this, and you can write this down. Bible teachers in God's church must be restricted. What a statement. At a time where everyone wants to teach and many are rushing forward to teach, it seems like there are hardly any standards to teach. Anybody writes, anybody teaches in the broader church, I mean. He writes very clearly that Bible teachers in God's church must be restricted. Look again at the first part of verse 1. Let not many of you, he's addressing them, become teachers, my brethren. It's only a few words, but it's a well needed caution. If the tongue has power for good and for evil, then the tongue of the teacher has even more power for good or for evil to steer and persuade the entire church correctly or incorrectly. Teaching. Teaching is what has been left in the church. The gift of teaching, the use of the teaching office. Prophecy came to the church at the beginning. The prophetic office was used and it was active. The apostles were in the church and in that apostolic age, prophecy came and we received that once for all delivered to the saints' faith. We have that now in the New Testament. The gift of prophecy is active today only in this sense that the prophecy was given in the page of, of the Word of God and now teachers take that prophecy and explain that prophecy, that prophetic word to people today. There's not new prophecy coming. So the burden on guiding the church today is not on the prophet, but on the teacher. Teaching is distinguished from the prophetic gift in Scripture. Prophecy came infallibly and accurately relayed divine truth at the outset. God got a hold of the mouth of the prophet, and the very words and all of the words, plenary verbal inspiration of their writings and of their speech brought infallible Scripture to the church. The teacher now takes that divine revelation and begins to explain it to the congregation, to their mind so they can understand it, so it can churn over and over in their mind and grab hold of their conscience and work on their heart and, and then spill out into the way they live. And that's quite a burden on teachers. Prophecy was delivered one time. Teaching is ongoing throughout church history. Prophecy came with an inerrant force, unfortunately, Teachers today can make many, many errors. Obviously, the influence of teachers is great, and I mean that throughout all of society. Just think how many young people going to college, their entire life is set in one direction or another, for good or for ill, based upon what some professor tells them. And those college students who think they know so much leave college not so well-educated. 
How many seminars from life coaches have steered people one way or another? How many politicians right now are hammering out their own ungodly philosophy and tens of thousands cheer that message and send in money for more of that message to be given? Immature minds, they're especially impacted and misguided by teachers all the time in every corner of society. Beloved, this is even more true in the church. Boy, does Satan like to get inside of the church. Boy, does he like to weaken the resolve of the people of God to pay attention to the words of God. He does it in church by putting a teacher there who will deny the word of God. And so you have liberal churches that say the kind that I grew up in, oh yeah, there's the book, but it's not all true. That is exactly what Satan says. Or you go to a church where, well, it's all true, but you can't possibly understand it. You need this whole teaching tradition to interpret it for you, so don't really read it for yourself. We'll tell you what it means. Satan likes to do that also. Or if that doesn't work, well, he's got a whole bag of tricks up his sleeve. He can just do this. It's all true, every one of them, but we also have another book we've added to that. And it'll let you know what that book is all about too. So now you've got two books or three or four which are not inspired by God, but are declared to be inspired by God. Well, if you can get their attention on that, you've nullified the word of God too. Or if that doesn't work, he'll say to a congregation, well, it's all true. It's just not all that relevant for today's age. We must have the teachings of psychology. We must have the insights of uh, the professors, the, the business plans and strategies of the day. And so we read it and think, well, it's true. It just doesn't help me out that much. Whatever he can do to get your mind off of the Word of God, maybe it's just this, that you believe it's all true and it's all relevant, you just don't have time for it. As Brandon said, you're busy, too busy. Now, there are some commentators here that don't think that James has in mind the official church teachers in this prohibition. But if it refers to just everybody teaching sort of spontaneously and informally as we all do, sharing the Word of God with one another, then James would be restricting too much here. After all, all of us are supposed to be teachers to some degree, somewhere, and there are many scriptures which, if you just read this and didn't think about it carefully, you might think, wow, here's where the Bible contradicts itself, because there are many verses that encourage the speaking of God's Word and encourage a lot of the teaching of God's Word. You know, I think of Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians 5, it says to do what we just finished doing that was beautiful, that is, sing the Word of God to one another. We're through the hymns and the songs and spiritual songs, we're admonishing one another with what? God's Word. That's teaching. It says in Romans 15 that you're capable of admonishing one another. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, we're to be encouraging one another with what? With the words of God, obviously. Comforting one another with God's words. 1 Thessalonians 4. Fathers instructing their children. Ephesians 5. Older women instructing the younger women. Titus 2. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 encourages everyone to be imparting some teaching somewhere and making disciples, being involved in that process. Added to this, the evidence that the term that James chooses to use here, didaskalos, which is related to didache, teaching, normally indicates an officially recognized teacher some examples, Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. It says, there were there at Antioch in the church prophets and teachers. Notice they're both official teachers, speakers in the church. Ephesians 4.11 says that Christ gave some to the church as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. And then it goes on, and some as pastors and teachers. That's official. 
1 Corinthians 12, 28. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Very high up in the, in the hierarchy of using the word of God. Again, official. 2 Timothy 1.11, Paul says, I was appointed by God a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Again, a formal position. 2 Timothy 4.3, the warning about the time will come when the church will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Chances are you're well aware that the Bible is a collection of books. Unfortunately, many view the Bible as nothing more than that, a book, including believers. However, as Pastor Tom taught you in his message today, the Bible is the foundation of our faith and has everything we need to strengthen ourselves. In his study, you learn just how important it is that you take in God's Word daily. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leak, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Many of us would be quick to agree that teaching is one of the most important ways in which we shape the next generation. Teaching, of course, relies on factual information and experience in order for it to be most effective. In Pastor Tom's next study, you'll learn about the stern warnings that James includes in his letter regarding those who wish to teach. Do you have a desire to teach? Be sure to tune in for Pastor Tom's next message. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Discover Hope. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hopebiblechurch.org. And be sure to join us again right here on Discover Hope.